This morning we're going to continue talking about faith. Faith is something that we are not very good at explaining. It's something that we probably don't understand very well ourselves, and it shows because we're not very good at explaining it. If we're honest, I'll be honest, maybe you're great at it, awesome, you can preach next week. But Christians are called to the privileged responsibility of being ambassadors. We represent the king. And we're called to tell people the good news about what Jesus Christ has done and how people need to have faith or believe in Jesus. So it's a great thing. It's great to be an ambassador. It's great to represent the king of kings and lord of lords. We all know the Great Commission calls us to tell people about Jesus and make disciples of all nations. We, Christians can get behind that. We, we know that it's a reality. But I would, again, suggest we're not very good at it. And one of the reasons we're not very good at it is because we're not very good at understanding what faith is. We're not very good at understanding, and therefore we're not very good at explaining what faith is. And so what I'd like to do is try to help. I'd like to try to to help you be a better ambassador. You are one, whether you realize it or not, to be a better witness for Christ. And part of that, again, is knowing that the Bible talks about faith in different ways, in different contexts. You need to know that if you're a Christian. Uh, Part of that is understanding that we probably don't know our Bibles very well. There are exceptions, but... And we probably also need to understand that our culture, probably because of us Christians, they don't really understand what faith means in the context of Christianity either. And so we end up talking past each other. We don't communicate very clearly. It's kind of a mess. So we're pausing from any book study. We're taking a little bit of time and doing this, what I'm going to call a mini-series on faith, understanding faith from a Christian perspective, okay? So a dozen or so questions and answers. We looked at three questions last week. I'll review them to catch you up to speed in case you weren't here. And today, then, we'll look at four more questions. But my motivator, what's what's driving me, again, is to try to help you to be a better ambassador and to be more motivated, um, more at ease, more comfortable, better equipped. And really what the catalyst was is is me being thrilled and excited about being able to explain the gospel to people a couple weeks ago. And it happened again this week. And one of the things that was so exciting is I know something about faith and what faith means, and what it doesn't mean, and it just makes it so much easier. And it also, I hope you'll see, takes some of the guilt away, you know, because you, you hear, oh, we're going to do a, a series on, on the Great Commission. I think I'll schedule my vacation. Because we start feeling guilty because we're not very good at it, and we, we think it's more complicated than it is. So we're talking about faith, what it is and what it isn't. So last week, we looked at question number one, what is faith? What is faith? Well, faith is the same as belief. It comes from the same original word. So to have faith is to believe. Here's another synonym. It could also be translated from the original language, trust. To have confidence, to rely upon. So when we tell people they should believe in Jesus, we're asking them to trust in Jesus. 
for His atonement, for His work, for His resurrection, for His reconciliation to bring us uh, to God and reconcile us. Trust in Jesus. And we use this word in our culture, but usually not relating to Jesus. We think faith is where you believe in fantasy, not historical reality like empty tomb in the Middle East some 2,000 years ago. Okay? I heard again this past week someone used the word faith in a non-religious context and they were spot on. They said, we do not know whether, we're, we're, we do not believe that this coach can lead us to victory. We do not have confidence that this coach can lead us to victory. We do not believe, we don't have faith. That's it. That's what we mean typically in Christianity. When we call people to trust, excuse me, believe in Jesus, we're talking about his trustworthiness. He's believable in that sense. So just know that. Many times when you're talking to your friends, if you say faith, they think you mean something other than what you, say, what you mean when you're talking about religion, okay? When you're talking about Christianity. So it's super simple, but I'll give my life trying to explain and remind. And when I read scripture, I give synonyms. The reason we call people to trust in Jesus is because he's reliable, Number two, that was just review. Number two, what makes faith necessary? What makes faith necessary? What makes faith necessary, faith in Jesus, is our lack of reliability. Follow me on this. This is not complicated. Another way of saying it is, is your sin, your, your breaking of God's laws, your not loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, not loving neighbor as yourself, as Jesus says you must. What makes faith necessary is your lack of faithfulness, my lack of faithfulness, our shortcomings. God doesn't accept us on our own merits because we're sinful and he requires full obedience. He always has, he always will. So we trust in Jesus because we're not trustworthy and he is. Okay? It's tough on your self-esteem. But if you don't get past that, you'll never understand Christianity. And the, the Christianity you present to someone will be some other religion. We need someone who fulfilled the law as he said he did. And we need someone who will atone for, who will pay for our lack of obedience. Make sense? It's not complicated. We need a faithful one and to have faith in a faithful one, a reliable one, because we're not reliable. Number three, where does faith come from? Where does faith come from? Last time we saw, faith comes from God because we're incapable. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, we're, we're spiritually dead. So God has to do something or even though we're supposed to believe, we never will believe. God has to do something. Ephesians 2 is powerful in that sense. So faith comes from God. It's a gift. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, 28, 29. It's been granted. It's been gifted to you not only to believe. Ah, gifted to believe. But also to suffer. It also, don't forget this, review still. Faith comes, Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. This is what really got me started on the whole series. Faith comes by hearing. 
Romans 10 is amazing and awesome because it helps us to understand as ambassadors, if anybody's ever going to believe, they've got to hear the word. They've got to hear the word of the gospel, the word regarding Christ. So again, this, this helps us put things in perspective and it takes away the guilt, it takes away the stress. I know that God has set it up, God has set up the way salvation works to accomplish and to bring about faith through proclamation. So I tell everyone and anyone I can about Jesus and the gospel, what Jesus did. Because I know, and I want you to know, and I want to remind you according to Romans chapter 10. Is it verse 17? Faith comes by hearing. And so that's why last week I tried to really encourage you, and I'll encourage you again today, be busy telling. You say, well, I'm not very good at telling. Yes, you are. If you can just tell the truth about Jesus, right? Sure, based upon who you're talking to, you might emphasize one aspect versus another aspect. But you can explain the truth about Jesus that Jesus died and rose again for our sins. Well, there, there, you got some traction there. Now, maybe you have to explain sin and you have to set up a greater context. And Faith comes by hearing. And so we're privileged as ambassadors not to convert people because we never could. Not to grant people saving faith because we could never do that. But God has called us to be proclaimers, tellers. Faith comes by hearing. I want everyone I know, friend, enemy, acquaintance, neighbor, to hear. Because faith comes by hearing. God uses that. Okay, ready for some new, new ground? Number four, what is one to believe? What is one to believe? We're talking about faith or belief or trust. What is one to believe? This is super obvious, I know, but if you have a Bible, if you turn to Acts 16, like super duper obvious. What is one to believe? Well, in Christianity, one is to believe in Jesus. I've already talked about it, but let's go ahead and see it in the text. I don't want you to take my word for it. If I'm going to be made right with God and have God accept me, what do I need to trust in? Another way of saying, who do I need to trust in? And Acts 16 is an awesome one because it's exciting, for one, but it's an awesome one because it spells it out clearly for us. Acts 16, it's uh, Paul, the Philippian jailer. Sorry to jump right into the context. Um, but for sake of time, that's just what we're going to do today. We're not doing a big, long exposition. Verse 31, and they said, this is after he says, what must I do to be saved? Saved from God's wrath, saved from God's judgment, saved from what I deserve. Verse 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. There it is. And it's a command. Now, Paul can't make them believe, just like you can't make anybody believe. God has to grant that, but nevertheless, he can say in a command, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now, again, there's a lot of, uh, of context. Believe what about Jesus? And we can go super detailed or we can go on a simpler level. But the basics would be believe in Jesus that he is your righteousness. That's biblical. To believe that he is your reconciler, your mediator between you and God, you'll be saved. Well, context would be saved from what? 
Better yet, we eventually see saved from whom? I'll be saved from God's judgment. I'll be saved. I, I won't get what I deserve. Jesus perfectly does everything in his life on behalf of those he represents. Then he goes to the cross to be treated as if he did everything wrong on behalf of those he represents, though he never did. And then he's raised from the dead on behalf of everyone who would ever believe and as a way of showing that he was legitimate and he actually accomplished what he said he would accomplish. Life, death, resurrection, then he ascends into heaven and he claims us as his own. He's our high priest. Who's a, a priest is a mediator, a go-between between you and God. What must people believe? They must believe the truth about Jesus, right? Let's go ahead and read the rest of the text because it says something rather interesting in verse 34. And you will be saved, you and your household. And they, and they spoke, that would be Paul and his companion, spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So they're all hearing this. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. See, he's responding. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. To believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus, is to trust in God. God's provision is through his unique son. John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus says, believe in God. Believe also in me. What, what must we believe? We must believe the truth about Jesus. Otherwise, I'm believing in myself. But I'm not trustworthy. Neither are you. Or I'm believing in someone else to be my mediator. But they're not trustworthy. Because they too are sinners. That's why you have to believe, rest, trust in Jesus to be your mediator. That's such a great argument in the book of Hebrews, as a matter of fact. Jesus is the one and true and only mediator. Read Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 7, which isn't bad news. It's bad news for fake mediators. It's good news to you. You trust in Christ and God accepts you. Saved. I love it that it's past tense too. It's not save a bull. Saved. Done. Over. Complete. I got to keep going. I just get excited and want to keep talking about more of this stuff. This is not complicated. It's complicated for sinful hearts. But that's up to God. It's not up to us. Let's go to number five, a fifth question. How is one to believe? If you turn to Matthew chapter 18, let's see how one is to believe. And what I mean by that is not that it has to come from God, not that it has to come from hearing, but more the manner. How is, how is one to believe? And what manner are we to believe? To trust, to have confidence. Matthew 18, 
It says, at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly or earnestly or sincerely, I say to you, unless you turn and become, here we go, like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I know he's talking about believing like children, even because if you drop down just momentarily to verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin must become like a child in your faith, in your belief. So how is one to believe? In what manner is one to believe? We're, we're, to, we're to believe in the Christian sense in a childlike way. especially small, younger children, they believe what adults say, sometimes for bad, right? I find it interesting that my younger children, one will say something and the other one will say, nuh-uh, right? I mean, they, different classrooms, different settings, different days, and one will say, here's what I did today, no, you didn't. And it's like, what? Right? But when I say, here's what I did today, they don't do that. On a peer-to-peer -peer level, there's this questioning. There's this pushback. But with mom or dad, they say, they, they don't say, no, you didn't. There's listening sometimes. <laughs> but you get the illustration, right? There's a respected authority there. There's, there's someone that they think is trustworthy who's not a peer. So let's remember, childlike faith is, is not without question, right? Kids ask the best questions. I just insulted kids, now I'm going to compliment them. They ask some of the very best questions. Lots of them, right? It's not that they don't ask questions. But if they do ask questions, it's not peer-to-peer -peer or superiority or superior to inferior. They want to know. So Christian faith is not faith without questions because there are answers. But it is childlike faith where you take God at His word and, and you have confidence in Him. And there's a huge difference. This is what God says. Oh, okay. I, I, I take you at your word, God. Now I have some questions. And oh, by the way, there are answers. We're not talking about childish faith. We're not talking about faith in Rudolph. Right? We're talking about something adults do. Adults don't do the Rudolph thing. Okay? Or we have special rooms for them. On special wings. Special buildings with padded walls. Jesus is talking to adults. Not about how to trick children to have childish faith. He's talking to them, making an illustration, making a point about childlike faith. Trusting. I love it when people ask questions. I love to answer questions. I love to say, well, let's see what the Bible says. I welcome that. 
but it is confidence in God. And remember, God is not the one on trial. It's different. How is one to believe or to believe like children? There's a creature-creator distinction if you want to be fancy. Let's move on. Number six. What about faith in the Old Testament? Realize these are somewhat random, but what about faith in the Old Testament? Someone asked me just this week, how does that work? So I realize lots of you know how it works, but let me encourage you to never grow tired of helping other people know how that works, if you know. Because so many times people think, if you, and by the way, we're going to go to Romans 4, so if you want to find Romans 4 in your Bible, but when you're on your way there, a lot of times people think Old Testament, it's not faith. New Testament, it's faith. Don't be mad at people like that. Just welcome that as an opportunity to help. It's an opportunity to help because to think that it's faith in the uh, works in the Old Testament and faith in the New is to reveal that you've perhaps never read the Bible or have been poorly taught or you've just forgotten or you're newer to Christianity. What about, what about faith and how does it relate to the Old Testament? Sometimes people in their zeal to have distinction between old and new they've ended up sounding a lot like, if not teaching, it's works in the old and grace in the new. Now let's be clear, there is a difference between old and new. That's why we have the old covenant and the new covenant. In fact, there are a lot of differences. But there are also important similarities. Like, how is it that we can be saved? Well, it's always and forever and only by faith in God because of Christ. Old or new. New is an, in anticipation. Old is in, in anticipation with all of the prefigurings. Uh, the Bible calls them types, shadows. The other side of Calvary we have, now we're looking back in appreciation, if you will. But it's always been and always will be if you're going to be saved from God's judgment it's by faith and only by faith in God because of Christ let's go ahead and look at Romans 4 Romans 4 is a touchstone text it's a touchstone you go back to it again and again and again if I could just live my life when I, when I can't see straight and all I do is have you come wipe the drool off my face which could be soon. <laughs> Just read Romans to me. Just read Romans 4. Read Romans 3. Read. Just help me understand the gospel better, the work of God in the Old and the New Testament better. How about Romans 4, verse 1? What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? Here's what's happening. The Apostle Paul is teaching salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. He's making it as clear as could be. For three chapters he's been building and he knows there's going to be an objection by people who think somehow it's God and them and his Jewish objector is going to say, Hey, 
What about Abraham? In some Jewish tradition, by the way, we have manuscript evidence. There was teaching that Abraham didn't sin. Well, that's not in the Old Testament. That's for sure. So Paul's like, I'm glad you asked about Abraham. Awesome. You got a flannel graph, right? Father Abraham, right? I mean, that's like the objection. Verse 2, for if Abraham was justified, that means again, declared righteous, declared a law keeper before God the judge. That's what we want. That's what we need. For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. He says that that way because it's not true. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham, he's quoting Genesis now, Abraham believed or trusted, right? That's our word, believed God and it was counted to him, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes, that would be Abraham, in him, trusts in him, who justifies, declared righteous, the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, And then he has another person to prove his point. David, right? Because if Abraham doesn't work, surely David does because David is such an awesome guy. And if you think David is such an awesome guy, you should read the Bible. He was awesome in some ways. Awesome because he trusted God even though he was a big sinner. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's from the mouth of David. The Apostle Paul is arguing and making his case. Salvation is by works, but not yours. And you can bring up Abraham. Thank you for teeing that up and let me just drive that ball. And and David, bring him up too or bring up anybody. Because everyone is a sinner apart from the Lord Jesus Christ whose work is perfect. So Old Testament and New Testament meet in Romans 4 and reveal that God is always saved the same way by faith in God's provision. You might want to write down a couple of other texts. Um, Another one would be 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. One God, one mediator, and he means ultimate mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Has to be. And then the classic text to to prove that the work of Jesus counted for those in anticipation in the Old Testament is Hebrews chapter 9. So if you you want to remember this, specifically remember Romans 4 and then write in your margin in Romans 4. See, I'm helping you. 
but most of you are typing and scrolling anyway, so it's harder to do. Then write in your margin, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. It says in verse, nine, uh, verse 15 in Hebrews, Therefore he, speaking about Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The old covenant. The Old Testament world. Jesus is their Savior too. We're not going to take the time to go there, but you could go to Galatians chapter 3. Similar kind of thing. Galatians 3, 6-9 is super important when it comes to all of this and the gospel being preached to Abraham because the Gentiles would be included. You say, how is this relevant in my life? Well, it's helping you understand the Bible better. It's also relevant in your life to understand that the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. It's to help you better understand that you can read all the Old Testament and the sacrificial system and all that's going on there and know and understand it better. This is in anticipation. All of this would be for naught, for zilch, for zero, if it weren't for what is revealed to us and what we understand in Hebrews 9. It's God's grace through the types and shadows in anticipation. But it's still by faith and only by faith. Because there's only one God. That's how He's always done it. I want to be like opening up for Q&A and ask for more questions, but we're not going to do it right now, right here at least. Just think how many people you, you talk to and you know and I know and maybe you're one of these people you think, yeah, in the Old Testament God was angry and it was about law. In the New Testament He's happy and it's not about law. I'm so burdened for people like that because I know they don't get it. And I don't want to insult them. I just want to help them and help them to understand. Maybe they've learned that in Sunday school. Maybe they've learned it in church. But to help them to understand that Jesus in the new says, unless you are perfect, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's law. Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. It'll rock your world. You'll have no hope. You should have no hope. But then it leads you to say, what can I do? Trust in Jesus and what he's going to provide. That's what. I like what D.A. Carson says uh, regarding people who say, it's wrath, wrath in the old, grace in the new. He's like, you haven't read the book of Revelation. And yet we see all this grace in the old. It's confusing and intimi intimidating to us. Okay, last one. We can do it easily. If you quote me out of context, we're not going to be friends. Okay? Last question for today. 
oh, next week we're going to talk about is faith blind? It's going to be a trick answer, just so you know. It's a trick question. But we're going to do some, some more important things like that. But today, finally, does faith justify? Now, again, if you're newer to the Bible or church life, justify, again, legal term. God is the judge. Paul likes to use it a lot as other writers, Jesus as well, like in Luke 18. God is the judge, and you want him to say you're innocent. You want him to justify you, to declare you righteous, to declare you a law keeper. That's what we're looking for, okay? Because God doesn't take bribes under the table, okay? He's just. He's fair. We all need justification in the biblical sense. So my question is, does faith justify? And I want to say, on the record, absolutely, positively, without question, no! And for effect, I want to say, I don't care what the Bible says. (laughs) Welcome to Omaha Bible Church. (laughs) Don't quote me out of context. Faith doesn't justify. Faith will never justify you. Justification is the work of faith. Justification is the work of... It's the work of God, right? God and God alone justifies. Faith doesn't justify. And let's make sure we know that. Let's make sure we're clear on that. Let's make sure even though we use shorthand and we say justification by faith alone. It's awesome shorthand. I will die for that reality. But it is shorthand because we don't mean that because the Apostle Paul doesn't mean that. Romans chapter 4, he doesn't mean that. God justifies because God is the judge. Your faith doesn't justify. Now again, in context, your faith in Jesus, the righteous, the law keeper, the law upholder, right? Is the basis for God to then justify you. So that's why we would say in another context, faith justifies. But not really. See what I'm saying? Romans chapter 4 again, for the sake of time. Romans 4, 5. And to the one who does not work but believes or trusts or has faith in him who justifies. See, God justifies the ungodly. That would be Pat. Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, my faith. Context would be my faith in Jesus is counted as righteousness. And you say, what's the practicality of this? Why make a big deal out of this? I make a big deal out of it because we get lazy, just do the shorthand thing, and we somehow start thinking that my faith justifies me. I so badly don't want you to think that your faith justifies you. Because then your assurance, or lack thereof, is going to come from you on the inside. And first and foremost, Christian assurance, which we'll talk about later in another question, another day, first and foremost doesn't come from within you. Assurance, because why, by the way? If if my assurance comes from my faith, because my faith justifies, that's a problem because my faith isn't perfect because I'm not perfect and I can't be sure of much unless I'm self-righteous, I'm so sure. And now I'm just an egomaniac. A megalomaniac, even worse. 
I'm so confident. No. Him who justifies God the Father, the, the ungodly, Pat, or you, the one who has faith in Jesus because he's faithworthy. He's trustworthy. And now, my friends, you have a foundation and basis for assurance. Okay? I love the song that we sing because it's theologically correct. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Confidence. Empty tomb confidence. It's a deal changer. It's a total deal changer. Faith doesn't look within. Christian faith looks outside to the substitute. Many of my unbelieving friends may be believing friends too. When they hear me talk about faith, they're thinking about self-confidence. I'm not talking about self-confidence. I'm talking about confidence in the external, in Christ. Theologians talk about faith that is not focused on self. You want, to, you want the theological word for the day? Try this one at Jimmy John's. Faith that is extrospective. We might have to do another offering for, for me just using that word because, man, that, that I mean, I have a doctorate. <laughs> faith that is extrospective, not introspective. Trusting in Him so I can have confidence. Trusting in me, I don't have confidence. Look outside of you. How about this one? How about in Revelation chapter 12, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. And if Satan goes before the Father and says, Pat Abendroth, he's a sinner. Did you see what he did? Did you see what he thought? Even worse. Did you check his motives? Guilty. Guilty. The accuser of the brethren, when he accuses you, he's likely telling the truth. Isn't it great to know that God justifies the ungodly based upon someone else? So Jesus could then say to Satan, you're right, Pat Abendroth is a sinner and he deserves to go to hell even with a doctorate in theology. Seriously. But God justifies the ungodly. The one who has faith, Jesus could say to him, in me, because I fulfilled all righteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, it's just like, yes. One more thing, and we're going to end on this. Another great thing about extrospective, is that what it was? I've forgotten. <laughs> faith that looks outside. Here's another great benefit, and it's a great benefit today on a membership Sunday when we're going to Welcome 15 new members into the church. It has the ability to unite where we would otherwise be more naturally divided. See, if it's all about me and my faith on the inside, well, you know what? Your faith and you on the inside of you. And now all of a sudden we all have a different kind of faith and we are naturally divided. 
This is why, by the way, theology that is uh, based upon experience, first and foremost, and driven by experience. Experience is good, but it's not the, it's the tail, right? It's not the dog. Experience is good, but when theology and people's understanding of the gospel and, and Christianity and God is based upon experience, it's a pressure cooker for division. Our faith can be united the same in the same object, the same person, the same one. And that makes us united no matter how different we look, no matter how different our earnings are, no matter how different our preferences are, etc., 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 because we're united in Christ who is our righteousness. And it's awesome. So with that, more questions next week. Is faith blind? We're going to talk about that. It gives you something to chew on. And I'm going to pray that you have opportunities to talk to people about Christ, to boast in Him, and to help them because you're better equipped to do that. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who is faith-worthy, trustworthy. Thank you that He didn't live in a place called Narnia. Thank you that He didn't live in a place called Middle Earth. Thank you that he didn't live in some sort of Disneyland. Thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. He became one of us to identify with us, to represent us, and to perfectly accomplish everything required because of your love for us, even when we were unlovely. Thank you that by trusting in Christ, we can have confidence. And thank you that we have good news to tell other people. May we not boast in ourselves and in our wisdom, but in him the great, gracious, and powerful resurrected Savior. In Jesus' name we pray.